Hello and welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Our goal at Owl Pellets is to help agriculture teachers like you find research-based solutions to the problems you face every day in the middle and high school classroom and as you advise your FFA chapters. Here you will find practical tips for your agriculture classroom and interesting information to incorporate into your teaching. We invite the best agricultural education faculty and researchers from around the country to come and talk with us and share what they have learned. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, and me, Brian Myers from the University of Florida. For more information on Owl Pellets, please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And visit our webpage at owlpelletsfrag.wordpress.com. Hello, Owl Pellets. This is Brian and Kate here by the Owl Pellet. Marshall is absent today, off doing great, wonderful things. Uh, we miss him dearly. There is a hole in our heart where Marshall Baker is supposed to go. Isn't that right, Kate? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I could probably get on board with that. There you go. <laughs> But we are lucky and excited to have with us uh, Dr. Christopher Clemens from Auburn University. Chris, welcome to Owl Pellets. Well, thank you, and War Eagle. War Eagle, that's right. So, as a you know, confession is good for the soul. As a disclaimer, Chris and I go way back. We've we've known each other for just a little while. Not only is a phenomenal person, he is also a fellow Saluki. Dogs go dogs. Um, and realized today, I was th thinking about this, Chris was also in my wedding. I'll be honest, I, I'd kind of forgotten about that for a while. Chris was in, was in my wedding a thousand and four years ago. So apparently he forgot about that too. Left, left a lasting impression. <laughs> well, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I made it work for you. So. <laughs> and, so, and Chris and I, we actually shared an office for a year. At more than that. Was it more than that? Was it more than a year? It was an ag, ag resource. Remember that little office that uh, Dr. Legacy had, Eric Koonsman, you and, my, and me? Yeah. Down there doing those ag science kits. And uh, I, real quick, I don't want to take too much time, but I had to tell my kids a funny story the other day because they were asking about what undergrad was like when I was in college. And I said, the one traumatic experience I remember from undergrad was a black and white screen for a computer with dial-up internet. Yeah. And I said, I've been scarred ever since. And they have absolutely no reference to what I was talking about. So. I can still remember when I first got when I got my first email address from SAU, and I'm like, I got an email address. I'm like, I don't know anybody else who has one, so what do I do with it? You email yourself and listen to the ding, I guess. So I don't know. No, I but, remember yeah. the same kind of things, but I was in like elementary school. Well, okay, wait, way to bring us down, but that's all right. <laughs> no, she, she just said she was elementary school. She just said how old she was. It just took her several years. <laughs> So that, that thirty-eight-year-old was that thirty-eight-year-old on the playground. That's yeah. what it was. She was able to drive the bus to, to third grade. That's okay. <laughs> I like it. I think you guys need to like reconnect. I'll just jump off here. I got the seat. <laughs> well, no, nice. you're you're, you're you providing cannon fodder, Kate. This is good. You're fine. This is Chris. This is my life with the Alpods team. Like I'm pretty I, sure that's I, the only reason I'm on here. This is my job, fodder. Yeah, oh. I, I feel I feel for you. I'm. I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset. <laughs> well, it, it, Chris, it is great to have you here with us. 
So, so tell us a little bit, other than I've given your, you know, your life history. Right, um, right. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell us all about yourself now and what we're going to be talking about today. Sure, sure. Um, I'm an assistant professor at Auburn going into my third year and um, absolutely love Alabama. Moving south was, was a great move. I don't miss snow and ice ever. Except for last December, I walked out of our house and there was three inches of snow on my car. And I, I, you just look at it, you're like, wait, no, no, am I really seeing this? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. But it was gone in 20 minutes. And uh, that was great, except for nobody knows how to drive in it. Yep. Um, I, Auburn is a, is a unique, wonderful place. Absolutely love it here. And it's given me the opportunity to kind of explore some interests that I've had and maybe some new interests that I really didn't know I had. Uh, until I got a little bit of my feet under my, on my, uh, under myself. But um, my, my research really follows two different pathways, and I would say major focus. And the first is agricultural literacy and being literate in agriculture. And that really stems from, uh, and I remember exactly what it was, and uh, across campus, and it doesn't matter on the street, but there's a number of restaurants there. And I remember we walked over to eat lunch one day, and I saw this sign that says, sustainably sourced and I thought well wait a second what what does that mean I mean we're all agriculturalists I, I understand the two words separately but put it together I thought but if I if I can't figure out what that means and, and I work in ag every day it's what does the general public feel about that and you start kind of it's like you know you buy a new car and you didn't know it really existed you thought you were the only one with that car and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere like everybody has the same car and it, it was, I saw it at, at, a, at a gas station, and it was um, smart sourced, sustainably sourced, um, persevering. You know, and it's all these buzzwords that came with with food and and restaurants and, and how they how they sell that to to people. And um, it really got me thinking about how we do that in agriculture and what does that look like, and not only in agricultural education, but in disciplinary settings of, of agricultural education. And then my second area that I, I really, really enjoy is um, looking at ag teacher longevity and success in the classroom and trying to find out why ag teachers have stayed and start looking at those who have the 30, 35 years, um, just submitted a paper to JAE, it'll be coming out soon, uh, of a national study of why that happens, what has caused, um, and I'm sure each of our states between Kate and Brian and myself, we can look at those teachers that have five years, 15 years, 30 years, and there's something there, right? I mean, there's something exciting about why have they stayed. And I, I don't want to believe that they feel like they're stuck, right? That they've lost their way to get out of the shop. They don't know where it is, but there's something that, um, something that keeps them there. So those are my, those are really what I try to look at. And then of course there's, um, there's ancillary things on the side with undergrads and grads and doc students and things like that. But um, I feel blessed really to be able to do the job and, and, and be interested in the things I'm interested in. Good. So today we're going to talk about ag, what, ag literacy and being agriculturally literate. So tell me what the heck does, we use ag, talk about terms we use all the time. What does ag literacy or ag literate mean? Sure. So where this really started coming from was, I would say looking at some um, non-formal classes and non-formal research and just kind of spending some time in agricultural classes um, around the Auburn area and then here on campus and listening to the words that we use, right? We use being agriculturally literate and possessing agricultural literacy interchangeably when they're really not. They're two separate things. So if you think of literacy as focusing on knowledge and understanding, 
whereas being literate has more concern with the communication of learning through reading, writing, and speaking. So we use them interchangeably, and that came up with the idea of let's get a group of experts together in not just education, but in all fields. So the study that we're kind of talking about today uh, was the Delphi study, and we identified some experts, and quite a few of them actually, and we had folks that were in uh, the political arena, we had policymakers, we had some educational folks, uh, communications, FFA, agricultural education arena, those type of things, you know, at a state or national level. And we asked them the question, what does it mean, what is being agriculturally literate mean to you? And of course, these were experts in agriculture, and no one could argue the fact that they know their area. But when we started analyzing the data, we found they, there, was no, there was no connection. The, the two terms are used interchangeably. So that kind of led us to the idea that if we're using these terms interchangeably, when they shouldn't be, what's the long-term effect of that, right? Where does that go? So the study itself just simply asked experts, what's it mean? The next step to this is we were going out in the general public and asking those folks, what is literacy? What is being literate? What does this term mean to you in agriculture? Those type of things. So one of the best ways we kind of thought about it was most of the public is generally literate, right? We, we expect that. We expect people to be able to read, write, and communicate using basic language and, and, and basic writing skills. What we see happening, though, as we move from general literacy to content literacy, talking to our ag teachers in Alabama and, and working with them in this research area was they spend a majority of their time on the content side of it, right? The big picture of agriculture. They expect post-secondary UF, Arkansas, Auburn, whatever, to teach that disciplinary content. Where we kind of come off the tracks a little bit as agricultural educators and as teachers is, are we really getting that disciplinary knowledge and are we able to communicate it back to the general public? So let me give you an example. Data showed us that when an agriculturalist feels like their back's against the wall and they have to defend GMO or organic or smart source, we resort back to disciplinary liter being disciplinary literate. We use the technical terms. We're, we're very precise in our explanation. And the general public is turned off by that. And what the general public tells us is there's a feeling of mistrust there. Oh, they're using these big words, right? The, the $10 words and... Um, it just sounds like, uh, it sounds like you're just double talking. So companies have done a really good job of figuring this out, right? I mean, nobody can argue with the fact of smart source. It sounds great. It sells a lot of food. But does the general public, beyond just having general literacy, do they really understand what those terms mean? Cool. And I think we could ask a, a thousand folks in agriculture to explain smart source and probably come up with 3,000 different answers for it. But so what for ag teachers, um, and you're, you're speaking my language, I 100% understand, you know, you go into the store and that's kind of what you see. And then I always kind of think what I do with that is very different than what a high school teacher might do with that or what they feel their responsibility is. So what are your thoughts on what is the responsibility of the ag teacher in working with students or the community or or any other group as far as um, helping, I guess, is the goal for them to help others be more disciplinarily literate? Well, yeah, I think it is. And I, and I, you know, and it's a kind of a, a 
it's that third rail sometimes that you don't want to touch. And I think especially when we start talking about training ag teachers and, and what that looks like. So the way we've approached this was as an ag ed major, right, a pre-service teacher, you're taking courses in animal reproduction and plant phys and biochem. Those are very much disciplinary level courses. You're using specialized terms where we found the disconnect happens is even though you might have, you might be disciplinary literate. I understand the terms of, uh, a, let's say hogs, a, a boar and a sow and a guilt. How do I put that into literacy skills that allows me to understand not only the disciplinary side of it, to be able to use that in a conversation that isn't off-putting to others. So I think as agri agriculture teachers look at this, we need to be asking ourselves, we're teaching vocabulary. I mean, there's no doubt, right? In the beginning of every chapter has a list of vocabulary words. Yes, that's disciplinary specific, but how are we putting that into our education to make our students have literacy within the discipline? Are they able to read about it? Are they able to write about it and talk about it and understand it to such a degree that they can apply it across a multitude of fields? So, for example, um, if we look at the, the GMO debate, right, or, or organic versus non-organic, there's an interesting meme I've seen floating around about Teosinte that thousands and thousands of years ago, your corn looked like this. And today your corn, you know, looks like it does now. And that was done through just natural selection. You know, it's, it's one thing for us as agriculturalists to understand that as agricultural teachers to understand that and explain the history. And I'll just use corn because it was well on my mind, but the general public doesn't see that. What they're seeing are these terms that really have no content or context so I think as ag teachers, we need to look at how do I take those disciplinary terms where my kids are literate, they do speak the language of agriculture, but how do we convert that into a form of literacy to help others outside of the field know what we do? So with that, let's talk a few things. What, what are some, some tangible things as ag teachers that are listening to this? What's something they could do tomorrow in their classroom or plan for later in the semester, some, some projects they could do even day-to-day -day or, or big deals that they can try to do to help address a particular issue with our high school, middle school ag students. Sure. And, I, and I, a lot of that, if we're looking for day-to-day -day things, comes down to the vocabulary, the, the vocabulary language that we speak. Um, I had a conversation with one of our in Alabama at Bagot State Convention on just exactly this. And she was saying, you know, I try to get vocabulary in my classroom, right? I want my kids to have that, that, that ability to be literate. She said, We're, I, what I can't figure out how to do is put that into a reading writing context for them to make them speak that language, to write about it as they're writing to others outside the field. So something that we've been talking a lot about is our, our approach to vocabulary. I mean, we have the tried and I won't say true method, but we have the tried method of here's your 50 words. Look up the definition, bite them out. Or right? here, here's a crossword puzzle. Find them in a crossword <laughs> puzzle or word search. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know what? I, it's a word search. There's a that's a there's a ton of cognitive processing involved with that, right? <laughs> oh, it's simply I get frustrated, I give up because the J and the R and the L don't spell anything, and I want to do it. But it's beyond that. I mean, that's simply just processing work. It's enough to say check mark. I've done it. Here's ten out of ten. It's the easy grade. What do we as ag teachers need to be doing? If I was still in the high school laboratory, if I was still in the high school classroom, I'd be looking at vocabulary as a means to drive my instruction, not as a means to supplant 
mindset direction. And let me explain what I mean by that is I think Brian and you and I, I mean, we're about the same age. We go back to our instruction and teaching. Okay. Here's vocabulary words. Here's where they go in the book. Look them up, fill in the blank. Right. I think today's what's that? It was a punishment. I mean, oh, it more, it more or less, yeah. that, that's what you did on the days that the ag teacher was gone and you had to keep finding you busy or, or if you got in trouble here, find the definition of these 50 vocab words and write them out. That was, that was when you got in trouble. Oh, I exactly. know, I'm surprised that you would know that about like what the kids that got in trouble had to do. Did you hear that from someone else? I saw it happen. <laughs> well, I was the kid that got kicked out and had to write sentences. So I, it was, I was that guy. Um, so on a day-to-day aspect, I think there's a number of uh, pedagogical things we do. So if I'm looking at a list of vocabulary terms, what we're starting to recommend to our teachers, and especially our pre-service teachers, is make them living terms. Use them outside of agriculture. So one thing we've started doing, especially with the elementary pre-service teachers here, is we're pairing our ag ed teachers up with elementary pre-service teachers and having them use disciplinary specific terms to explain to the general public. So for example, if we're, let's just go back to our, our um, uh, organically raised or organically sourced. Having our ag students and our ag teachers, having their kids understand exactly what that means in the scientific realm, now convert it. How would you explain this to someone using general literacy, using everyday knowledge to get this point across, to explain what it is? And it's a real struggle. I mean, I, 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 I'm guilty of it too. If I have to explain something to a group of students, on statistics, let's say chi-square. What do I do? I go right back to the textbook that I, I've memorized it from. This, 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 right? It's always a step of something. How do we, how do we put that into practice for those outside of it? And I think ag teachers are, are really, really good at that. I've seen a number of things on um, the Ag Discussion Board on Facebook. But um, the takeaway really is how can you provide a context within agriculture for that term and a context for what it looks like for the general public? outside of agriculture. A lot of the, the terms that we use are really tough to do that with. Um, mm-hmm. I found myself the other day in a conversation where uh, I was talking with someone about GMOs and they were very against. And I said, do you know what they are? And they said, well, I know that it's chemicals that shouldn't be in our food that are put there. And I found myself struggling to very easy, like in an elevator speech, explain but, you know, because I would start and say, okay, well, actually a GMO is this. And then I realized, like, in that explanation, there were three or four other disciplinary terms that they weren't going to understand. I'd say, well, let me back up and go further. Like, let's talk about transgenic. Let's talk about hybrids. You know, like, there was not a succinct explanation. And so I see sometimes teachers use these, like, the um, reading comprehension strategies, like the gist, you know, mm-hmm. or they have to pare something down to the size right. of an index card or... Um, or a tweet, right? They use tweets a lot for that now, the young people. So Mm -hmm. yeah, how can you take something that's such a huge concept and um, get someone on board where they can understand it in 140 characters? 140 characters. Right, or like the size of an index card. It's very difficult to do if you don't um, have them actually practice going through that first. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're talking about, about taking this term that's like an external, it's not, uh, it's not scaffolded to anything in my brain. It's just a term, right? We need to have that scaffolding. And so then bringing that in to have it be actually somehow cognitively attached to Mm -hmm. other things and then put that in a way where we can share it with other people. Because I was amazed. I mean, 
I've been working on this for a lot, you know, for a bunch mm -hmm. of years. And when confronted with the question where someone was actually willing to sit down and listen to, here's what a GMO actually is, I was like, okay, I'm going to need like three hours and and some like diagram, right? Like it was very difficult. <laughs> Chart paper, PowerPoint, you know. Yeah. Let me just pull this up. And I, it was very difficult for me to do. So um, I think it seems like it would be helpful if teachers used that opportunity and some of those content reading strategies, bringing those in to um, – help students be able to do that where they can take their disciplinary knowledge and move it to like general vocabulary. Right. Right. And I, I the idea of the, of the 140 characters, I think especially if we look at new methods in, in reading and writing, being succinct and having the gist of something, as you said, is, is perfect. I mean, our attention spans are not increasing by any means. And, you know, a, a good activity, if it's possible for teachers to do, and it all depends on the size of their program, but is tour a grocery store. Believe it or not, look at the items, look at the labeling of things. How much of that is speaking to people in agriculture yeah. and how much is speaking to folks outside of it? Um, I had a conversation at Whole Foods the other day with a mom. We were standing out there doing some research and collecting stuff. And the conversation got around to, oh, you're in agriculture, so you must be one of those people that supports chemicals. And I said, well, I, I, more, I support the smart application of, of specific chemicals to do a functioning job. And she was very nice about it. But she said, well, I, I just don't believe in any of that. And you know, I think the second part to that question is something for our ag teachers to be able to approach their students about is, and, and this is something that we really, really focus on is, that haves and the have nots when it comes to food, right? And I don't mean food security, but I mean the ability to spend that extra dollar on something that's labeled as non-GMO. And I don't know, we could get into that debate all we want. But the question then really becomes, and I think if you're looking at how to take vocabulary and how to take concepts in agriculture and put it on a human level for future agriculturists to look at, that's the great debate in a classroom. Should a certain group of people, should certain people, whatever, be pushed out of that market because they can't afford what's considered safe and free of pesticides and whatever that might be. Um, but I, to me, that's, that's an interesting study in, in psychology because, you know, most of us can afford to buy the, you know, $6 bag of apples that say that they're non-GMO and they've been handpicked and whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, I would disagree. But a, I think most cannot. No, no. I said, mo I, I guess I meant most of us on this conversation today oh, could yeah. do that. But most people can't. And I said, well, you know, whether we're looking at um, families in the United States or families worldwide, food security is a, is a major issue. And sometimes you're just glad to have something on your plate. And, um, you know, it's it's really becoming, and I and I see that a lot, especially like I said at Whole Foods, two to three times the amount you're spending on that grocery dollar compared to like a, a Walmart Supercenter or a, a Publix or well, if you're in the north, it's a Schnucks or a Deerberg's. But um, remember, uh, Kate, Kate lives in Arkansas. There's only Walmart. That's it. That's the only store in the entire you place. Not, you do not speak of those other places. They don't even exist. You don't like, have a big No. How about a no Win Dixie or anything? No. We have Harps, actually. Okay. If you really want to damn the man, you go to Harps. <laughs> but, so, I, think, I think there's some great stuff. Oh, go ahead, Tate. No, go ahead. You know, I, I think there's some great stuff that we're talking about. And I think a lot of it boils down to 
as ag teachers, we have to be intentional to prepare our students and really prepare ourselves to have these conversations. And part of this is making sure that we're literate into thinking through and to be literate does not mean I can answer the, the test question that give you the definition. I have to know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of, you know, really one of the major tasks we should probably be doing in our classrooms is like we said, take these complex concepts and how do we succinctly and clearly talk about these things, not dumb mm -hmm. them down because what right. ends up happening, if you want to get the, on the emotional side of this debate, it's really easy just to say all this stuff is bad and end of story. Mm -hmm. While the other side is saying, no, these are good because of this, 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 but all the other terms come in. How do we really talk about this so that we don't need three hours and 18 flip charts and PowerPoints and diagrams to just to answer these questions um, and really, you know, that may be the test um, when we're testing our students for public speaking is not to give this seven to eight minute speech. Right. It's can I stand in a grocery store aisle and explain to somebody the difference between this banana and that banana, you know, and this kind of, and what's been what's been going on there. So those are those are some really great ideas, Chris. But, you know, I think we're also at the, at the precipice of seeing the face of the agricultural classroom change, too. Right. I mean, the argument can be made on a, I don't know, whatever plane you want to make it on, that the public, non-agriculturalists, good or bad, are becoming more agriculturally aware. And I think it's up to those of us in the field, for lack of a better word, who have to be able to steer that message that is not only believable, that is accurate, that, that, it, that, it's, that it's trustworthy. And if you, if you take that all the way back, how will how will our classrooms change because of now realizing the difference between being literate and possessing literacy skills? And Brian, I think your point was exactly right. You know, it's all three of us on this conversation have trained public speaking students for years as ag teachers. But at what point do we start changing the narrative of how sure. we have our students present and have our students speak? And and not only to speak with with content literacy or disciplinary literacy, but to be able to take that and pare it down into, you know, I would consider general literacy. Well, it's that part too. We're, we're trying to get to the that deeper understanding and knowledge for our students. And it's more than just finding answers on a multiple choice test or, or matching or whatever else. It's about that deep understanding here. Okay, right. take, and, bring and us and home I'll on look. this. Bring us home on this idea here. What wrap? What comment you got for us to wrap us up? Well, there's comment? something. There's a caveat that I want to make sure that we put out there, and um, Chris and I are of like minds, and I think most of the time, I know we try on the on these to do a pretty good job of not putting our own um, bias out there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it, and this is it's a hot topic, right? Mm -hmm. It's crucial, I think, that we acknowledge and recognize that there are um, values and informed opinions on all sides of these contentious agricultural issues. And that really the goal of the teacher, while Chris, you and I certainly get along as far as like our values and what we um, value within agriculture, I think there are very informed people that are making responsible choices on the other side of that that are not necessarily the choices that I would make. But so as a as teachers, we have to remember that while we're informing, our goal is to help inform and encourage our students to be literate, not necessarily to take on our own opinions, but really to help them see how they can share their opinions. And they may be different from our own as long as they're informed. Overall, mm -hmm. I think we're doing a, a great service to our students. It's when we 
when we kind of direct that message one way or another based on our personal preferences, regardless of the issue, that right. it, then then there's even there's less trust, right? Right. And I and I and, and kind of in, in my my opinion to wrap this up a little bit, having students understand the difference between being literate and possessing literacy skills is bringing us to the point of having students develop and possess critical thinking, in my opinion. And to be able to do that, not only do they have to understand and be able to speak intelligently about the technical side of agriculture, but they have to be able to use that, that knowledge in an appropriate setting, in an appropriate vernacular to people outside of agriculture. And I think that's where we, we look at the news and we look at issues and protests and once, and I mean protests on both sides of this, right? I support uh, agriculture. I don't support agriculture. But to me, the, the ideal classroom and, and where we should be heading, and not only at, at the university level, but at the high school level or middle school level, is presenting both sides to our students and saying, listen, you are the experts. You're the next generation. You have to be the ones to think critically to think purposefully and, and be able to speak rationally at, a, at a, not only a, a disciplinary level, but also to the general public who can understand your message and it doesn't look suspect. I think that's a great point. When, I, when people ask me, what does our department do here in Florida? And I explain our job, our, you know, the Department of Ag Education and Communication at University of Florida's job is to equip people to make better decisions about agriculture and natural resources. Absolutely. We've got to give them the tools. And, and part of that is what we're talking about here. They have to understand both the, you know, be, be literate about the topic, but also understand the disciplinary literacy as well to do that. So Chris, right. thank you so much for spending time oh. with us today. This is a great topic. I've enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Um, ag teachers, this is stuff that you guys deal with every single day. You guys are out there on the front line dealing with this. I encourage you to think about the assignments you give your students, the, the conversations you have with your students and ultimately what is the purpose of, of agricultural education in the schools and how can we help create this um, agriculturally literate population that we need both in our classrooms and throughout our schools. So again, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kate. Good to see you as always. Good to see you too. And thank you. That hole is still in our heart from where Marshall Baker normally lives. We hope that he is having a phenomenal day. We'll be reunited soon. I'm sure. I took some Tums and feel much better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, thank you to Chris Clemens for being with us today. Uh, for Kate Shoulders, this is Brian Myers here by the Owl Palette. Thanks, guys, for all that you do every single day. Have a great one. Elevate your ability to impact the world with an advanced degree in agricultural education and communication from the University of Florida. Our faculty and staff are committed to provide our graduate students with a premier education both online and on campus, equipping you with the tools needed to strengthen the agriculture and natural resources industries. We're empowering agriculturalists who will become the next educators, the next communicators, and the next leaders for the Gator Good. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate and Marshall, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thanks and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets. 
tips for ag you.